Loved ones, what's going on? I'm Bruce, and this is A Bigger Story. My friend Jamie lives in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. A few years ago, a couple of weeks before Christmas, Jamie was out for his morning walk, and a Christmas tree on his neighbor's porch caught his eye. It was this small white tree, and its lights were still plugged in from the night before, blinking brightly enough to overcome the sunlight pouring over it by morning. Jamie says it was as if the tree was trying to get him to look, and it reminded him of past Decembers when his children were small and he would go all out to make sure their house was lit up for Christmas. And Jamie said that no one could pass by their house or return home from it with all those lights without finding it cheery. For Jamie, it was a need, a need, he says, to light his house properly so that it could properly light others. Jamie wrote, The season of light, this light, makes clear eyes blaze. It makes careworn eyes, clouded by accumulated seasons, bright and dancy again. I wish I could write like Jamie, and I would like that feeling. How about you? A light that would make our clear eyes blaze, a light that could make careworn eyes clouded by accumulated seasons, bright and dancy again. I see an awful lot of careworn eyes these days. Just yesterday, another friend shared that he wasn't much in the mood to put his Christmas lights up this year. He said, I put on a good face often, but these last three years, these last three years referred to the pandemic and the exhaustion that my friend and many others who lead organizations have felt trying to lead their organizations through the pandemic. This episode of A Bigger Story is being recorded a few weeks before Christmas 2022. On Christmas Eve, one of the Bible passages that will be read in many churches around the world is from Hebrew scripture, the prophet Isaiah. It goes like this, But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish, the people who walked in darkness, have seen a great light. Those who have lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. No more gloom. Light in the darkness. Sound good to you? And this interplay of darkness and light begins right in the beginning. Genesis 1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. The whole story from the very beginning is about light coming into darkness over and over and over again. I'll even go this far. Ever heard of the second coming of Christ? Sometimes when someone is dilly-dallying, I'll ask them, are you waiting for the second coming? YouTube is filled with fundamentalist preachers warning about the second coming and attaching it to apocalypse, to the end of the world. And even liturgical churches invoke the second coming when during their communion liturgies, they recite what's called the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. But as to it being a second coming, That's what I'm not so sure about. I think we've actually lost count. 
Another Christmas passage is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Jesus Christ is described as the light of the world, and that this light, the light of Christ, has existed co-eternally with God. So God says, let there be light. That's in Genesis. And in the Gospel of John in the New Testament, John tells us that Jesus Christ is that light. So that's, by my reckoning, that's two comings of Christ right there. The first, the appearance of light, which we later learn that light is the light of Christ. So that's one, when light first appears, when God says, let there be light. And then the light incarnating, showing up in the flesh in Jesus Christ, that's coming number two. And then Jesus says that whenever two or three are gathered in his name, he's there in the midst of them. That's number three, except it's whenever that happens. So how many times have at least two or three people gathered in Jesus' name? And if he's there in the midst of those gatherings each time, that's not only three, it's three to the infinite power. So now we're like on an infinite number of the comings of Christ. And Jesus says that whenever we feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the prisoner, give drink to the thirsty, that we are actually doing it to him. So that's more infinite instances of the coming of Christ. So those waiting for the second coming of Christ, you might be late. And just a quick pause here. You see what we're doing, right? We're not engaging in a wooden literal translation of Bible passages and arriving at these wooden literal constructs. And by the way, the first Christians didn't do that. The early teachers of the church didn't do that. More on that in another episode. So what if the second, third, fourth, and infinite comings of Christ are in play for us? Because there is always, for us wacky human beings, this interplay between darkness and light. Not colors, but an image, a metaphor, to help us distinguish between light and the absence of light, between what gives life and what robs life from us, and understanding that every human, every generation, every family, every community needs to grapple with the reality of human struggle with those things. We need this story of God's light always working to break through, always shining into our lives. We all need light in our lives that illuminates the possibility that there is a way out of no way. A light that illuminates that love wins over hate, that forgiveness wins over grudge holding, that reconciliation wins over the strife of war. And as I often do, I want to remind you again, if you encounter Christians who specialize in pointing at others, critiquing, picking apart, excluding, They will claim to be agents of light, but they are not. They are bearers of something else that is not light. When you encounter Christians talking less and listening more, finding ways of relieving suffering in the world and actually doing it, welcoming those who are not like them, contending for love and graciousness, embracing mystery instead of needing to have all the answers, Those are the light bearers in the world. And by the way, they don't need to be Christian. The ones who find ways of relieving suffering and welcoming those who are not like them and contending for love and graciousness and embracing mystery instead of having to have all the answers, 
whatever their faith tradition is, including no faith tradition, those are the light bearers in the world. The poet and novelist Robert Louis Stevenson wrote of being a child and confined to his bed with some illness and looking out his bedroom window one night as the lamplighters lit the gas lights, the street lights below. And he cried out to his family, look, they're punching holes in the darkness. That's what we're supposed to be about, to be among those who understand that even every word we speak to another has the potential to add to the darkness or add to the light. And our choice, if we want to be in the divine flow of things, is to add to the light. Another friend, now of more than 40 years of friendship, is one of those light bearers. He put himself through college on the GI Bill. He's one of the brightest lights you'd ever want to know. And decades ago, just as his hard work was resulting in the life he dreamed of having, really coming together, he was diagnosed with leukemia. And for a while, he was kind of uncertain about how that was going to turn out for him. So one Christmas, not sure if he would live or die, and he lived, by the way, (laughs) still going strong more than 20 years later. But that Christmas, when he had leukemia, he had a party, and he invited all his friends who could come. And about an hour into the party, a big stretch limo showed up in his driveway. And the limo had a fully stocked bar. And for the rest of the party, in the darkness of the night, and in the uncertainty about his own life, he sent groups of the partygoers out into the night in the limo just to cruise around and look at all the Christmas lights in the neighborhood to see holes being punched gloriously in the darkness. And my other friend I told you about who was feeling a bit worn out from the last three years, as many are, and he wasn't feeling like putting the Christmas lights up this year. That's not where his story ended either. Here's how the story developed in his words. He wrote, Then the Friday after Thanksgiving, I felt my mom, who was born on Christmas Day, and went home to God just before Christmas Eve in 2004, gently touching me on the shoulder and reminding me that Christmas is not about how you feel. It's about the true light of the world coming into the world to dispel the darkness. I love the late-night Christmas Eve services like Midnight Mass. It's a service that comes at the end of a long night following a short day, a day when there is much more night than day, much more darkness than light. And the lights of the sanctuary typically come down. Each person is given a candle. The candles are lit. And as each candle is lit, the dark church gets brighter and brighter. And we sing Silent Night, Holy Night, All is calm, all is bright. And this, loved ones, this is the bigger story. A story that reminds us and even asks us to be light bearers in the world, to punch holes in the darkness, to bring brightness to the world, to ourselves be light for the world to light the heart of another. This is the light that leads to a much bigger story. 
Stay in touch, Bruce at brucecold.tv. Remember you are loved. Shine bright. <laughs>